he has walked through the story of trees in the Bible. And what I didn't realize is that every important character, a major event has a tree or part of a tree, whether branch, fruit, seed, plants, woods. I mean, he, and he goes on to talk about that marking the spot. So he, he, according to him, 967 times trees or um, a part of a tree um, is, is referenced, whether from the first and last chapter of the Bible, the first Psalm, the first gospel, the fall, the flood, I mean, we could go through, but it is, it is stunning as he walks through the story of trees. Elizabeth McKenney is on staff with Cruz City, and she serves as associate staff at her church, The Crossing, in Columbia, Missouri. She writes, speaks, and is passionate about helping people love their next-door neighbors. Elizabeth is the co-author of Placed for a Purpose, a simple and sustainable vision for loving your next-door neighbors. And today on Listener, we're going to be talking about our mutual passion for trees. Elizabeth, we're here to talk about trees, which seems funny because, but we'll get, we'll, we're going to talk about why are we talking about trees. But for now, let's just say we realized we have kind of a mutual theme going on in both of our lives, Mm -hmm. spiritually and just in every way that has to do with trees. So let's talk about that. Do you want to start? Yeah, I was asking you before we got started, what's your tree story? And I and I want to hear your tree story because I know you have one and I have one. So when we moved into our neighborhood about nine years ago, we live in the suburbs. Sadly, there was just this awful lack of trees. And I miss that. I miss mature having mature trees. And we had three newly planted skinny little babies. And so four years in, I think I had I had kind of kept waiting till we had gotten to the point where supposedly maybe we were going to save all this money to buy these beautiful semi-mature trees that we could plant in my imagination. That hadn't happened. And four years in, we realized, really, we should have just planted something. We should have planted maybe some seedlings, something. And so I got this idea to do an Arbor Day party with neighbors, because I also have a love for neighbors. And my husband informed me that casting vision for an, for an Arbor Day party was about as exciting as casting vision for an encyclopedia party. And I'm like, why poo-poo my idea? And he had to eat his words because my neighbors showed up. We had probably, um, well, we had a good handful of neighbors. I don't remember how many came. And we had um, people placed orders ahead of time. We we worked together. There were there were lots of people involved, but we ordered and planted 345 seedlings from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Which I learned, seedlings when you when you order that way that way cost like pennies. I think it was like ten cents a tree or something. I'm like the price is right. And then we had a <laughs> friend, a professor at MU, the University of Missouri, give us ten loblolly pines. And I love a loblolly pine. If you if you know what that is, you're you're feeling me right now. So um, yeah, you should. They're beautiful. And so now here we are, nine years later. We have we counted this morning 34 trees 
in our yard and I love my trees. I, with permission, have even planted trees in my neighbor's yards. That's kind of crossing a line, but she, she let me, I will plant, I could plant, I just can't stop. It's almost an addiction, but I want to hear your tree story. Well, are you a tree hugger? I'm, I'm a tree, I'm a tree hugger. I'm a tree toucher and the neighbors know it. So they Mm -hmm. know what to, they know I'm just out there touching the trees. Are you? (laughs) Yes. As a matter of fact, I am a tree hugger, a literal tree hugger. I hug trees. And this isn't my idea. This is therapy. No, a known healing therapeutic process is grounding where I'm not a counselor. So if you're listening, I get this wrong. Sorry. But it's something like it, uh, human beings, if we t- you know, go outside into nature and touch the ground, touch plants, touch trees, hug trees, there's something healing about that process. And once I heard mm-hmm. my counselor friend saying, oh, that's a real thing, I started mm-hmm. more intentionally taking advantage of nature around me and just connecting, reconnecting myself in an embodied way. And, you know, mm-hmm. my story about trees goes way back. I live in the Pacific Northwest, so there, there's towering fir trees. Mm-hmm. Our state tree in Oregon is the Douglas fir. So, I mean, they look like Christmas trees, but they're enormous. Yeah. And when we bought our first house, I can actually one-up you. We had no trees. We had zero trees. Girl. But we lived on Bella Vista, which means Mm. like beautiful street or beautiful view or something. But it was not Mm -hmm. a Bella Vista. There were, it was just a brand new development. There were no trees. Maybe, maybe one tree, but I think zero. And we didn't live there very long. That was when we lived in a different state. Now we live back in the Portland, Oregon area. And the house we're in now, which is this, only the second house we've ever owned, is in the forest. And mm. we live in a town where it's very hard to even get a permit to cut down a tree, which is lovely. So there's just mm-hmm. trees everywhere, really old trees that tower above us and we actually live on tree street I don't know if I've ever told you that oh you're the perfect person to do this podcast you're like I live it my qualifications are living on tree street I literally live on tree street and when my husband and I saw this house listed online and saw that it was on tree street we knew that it was our house we knew right then. And it was. And all the doors opened and we bought it and we moved in. And we have towering Douglas firs in our backyard mm. and all around us. We also have a few birch trees in the front around our mailbox. And we have tree art all over the inside of our house because mm. it's just like our a theme for us as trees. And, you know, for a long time I thought, well, I just like trees. That's cute, you know, but then (laughs) I, I remembered that when I was in my twenties and I, before I was in ministry and and when I was really reading the Bible for the first time, just picking it up and reading large passages, large chunks of it, I started noticing how much the Bible talks about trees and plants and I started writing it down and keeping a log. Well, then I 
you know, got married, had kids and life got really busy. And I sort of forgot about that. But there was this underlying tree theme. God was writing trees into my story. And lately I have realized, no, that's trees are very intentional in the world. They're not just, oh, cute. I like trees. God put them here to teach us things. Trees are healing for the earth, for us. And I know you and I both read this book, Reforesting Faith by Matthew Sleeth. Am I saying his name right? Sleeth. Matthew Sleuth or Sleeth? Uh, Michael. I don't know how to say his last name. Oh, Michael. Michael. Thank you. Michael Sleuth. Sleeth. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes. But basically, you told me about this book because you read some of my tree poems and you knew that we were kindred tree spirits. That's right. I and love so, that. <laughs> tell me about Also, I'm you... renaming my street. I'm renaming street. my street. Putting in a petition. Yeah. I now live on Tree Street. Just just want to put it you out You do there. have more trees in your yard than I do now, so. But tell us I feel like I need... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> tell us more about how you discovered this book Reforesting Faith. I can't even remember how I heard about it. I I think I saw it on Amazon. Um, but when I read the back of it and um, and started realizing this book, it's almost like a systematic theology of trees. That's systematic dendrology. Dendrology. I can't say that word. Um, dendrology. Ooh, what is that word? The I don't even know trees. it. But I can't say it, so oh, it doesn't. Don't put it in here. Dendrology. Right. So, um, and that's what he has done. He has walked through the story of trees in the Bible. And what I didn't realize is that every important character, a major event has a tree or part of a tree, whether branch, fruit, seed, plants, woods. I mean, he, and he goes on to talk about that marking the spot. So he, he, according to him, 967 times trees or um, a part of a tree um, is is referenced, whether from the first and last chapter of the Bible, the first Psalm, the first gospel, the fall, the flood, I and mean, we could go through, but it is it is stunning as he walks through the story of trees. And really, he when he started, when he became a believer, he became a believer later in life, he was surprised when his pastor and the response of his church, it seemed they were kind of hesitant towards trees. They were cautious. Their their perspective on trees wasn't, um, I don't know, they 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 didn't share that love for it. In fact, it was it's kind of the opposite. Do you remember him talking about that? Yeah, and I think it's a evidence of this the dualism right. that creeps into it has crept into Christianity cyclically, I think, over time, it's like this tendency to disembody our souls, Mm -hmm. separate the spiritual world from the material world. And even sometimes, I think, talk about the material world as if it's bad and the spiritual world is good, which the, the very incarnation of Christ tells us that that's not true. I mean, if God would put on a body to come live with us, we know that there's redemptive and even inherently good things in the material world. But I think, you know, in the church and probably just in life at large, I mean, we can tell, we can look at the earth and see like, 
it's suffering in some ways because of this um, dualism or because we haven't stewarded the material world well as this amazing gift from God that it is. Yeah. And I, I remember when when he was talking about all of this and, and I listened to a podcast by the Bible Project guys. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible Project. Well, they're out of they're out of Oregon too, maybe. Yes. Um, they have a podcast called Humans or Trees. Have you heard of that? Was it their tree episode or do they have a whole podcast? They have a whole season on it. So I've listened to a few of those. And they talk about how your family of origin kind of predisposes you to a certain view of trees. But really, I think part of it is we're afraid of that living in that tension of only caring for the earth versus caring for souls. And I love when Michael Sleuth says there's no contradiction between planting. I think, how does he say it? Let me, let me, I want to get it right. There's no contradiction between planting trees and planting the gospel. I love that. It's it, the, the psalmist says the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And part of our job as stewards of the earth is to care for God's creation, to, to love trees as he does. And I think to recognize how our souls are intertwined with the very material right. world around us. You know, in his book, he talks about how a hundred, even a hundred years ago, or maybe before, but this was probably before the Industrial Revolution, at least, um, the KJV, so the King James Bible commentary section had 20 pages on trees and plants and four full page pictures of famous trees. The 2013 King James ver Version has not one page of commentary on trees and plants. I remember that. So again, it's just sort of a cultural shift in what we're getting from the Bible and what we're teaching from the Bible. But really, this is not a new discovery. This is recapturing something that was always there. It, it was always in scripture. And we're just rediscovering it through books like this, right? That's right. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you too. Um, would it be putting you on the spot to ask you what your favorite part of the book is? I'd love to hear what your favorite part of the book was, or maybe it's just the whole theme. I know I'm looking at my notes and I was re I was going through my notes again yesterday. It's probably the fact that, like you said, he he was he didn't identify as a Christian until later in his life. He was a physician, and um, it wasn't until he a series of tragedies, I think, including nine eleven, happened so close to home and just mm -hmm. in the world at large, that he picked up a Bible at work one day. He was just sitting there, and he read it, and he said he discovered the person of Jesus, and never looked back. And mm -hmm. that in itself is a... Who was a carpenter. Yeah, I mean, Sorry, I you. totally. So his own story is really powerful. And I love that he mm -hmm. picked up the Bible, saw who Jesus was, and decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, and then his family started following Jesus. And 
So it's a really great story. And like you said, he got involved in a church that I think he's still connected to. And Mm -hmm. because of just politics and the church and everything, there, there is sort of this, maybe it's a fear that if we change our focus onto the earth, we won't focus on souls anymore. But I think him coming in without any any sort of background in the church, all he had was reading the Bible, seeing Jesus, seeing trees, and realizing, oh, that we can care about both, and we should care about both. We ought to care about both. God cares about both deeply. Jesus cares about both. Mm -hmm. So it's always refreshing when someone can come in and they just culturally have no, they don't have any culture, I guess, surrounding their faith. Do you remember that part? Oh, I loved that. And I I think I remember when he said, other than God and people, the Bible mentions trees more than any other living thing. So this is this is something important to God that we need to to pay attention to and that we we do intuitively. I mean, like you said, when you go outside, I mean, even hearing you talk about your yard, I feel physically relaxed. Just, I mean, we, we can't, we can't help ourselves. They provide, I mean, you think about the benefits of trees. They, they create beauty around us. They provide shade. They lower our energy costs and purify our air. They give us food, water, shade, shelter, clothing. That's not an accident. That's by God's design. They, um, oh, I thought it was interesting. He said they are one of the first things a child draws. Um, they give us chocolate, right? Half of all the earth's creatures live in or on trees. And even in death, they serve us. And um, so it's, we need to, we need to pay attention to trees. And I think we have a lot to learn as we look at the scriptures. We can learn a lot from trees, actually. Absolutely. I mean, it, you mentioned Psalm 1, which has long been one of my favorite Psalms and I memorized it early in my life. And it basically says, I'm paraphrasing, but if you want to know how to thrive as a human being or what does a thriving human being look like, consider a tree that is well planted. It's in a place where it's getting regularly watered. Watch what that tree does. Watch how it survives the seasons watch how it flowers and fruits and and that it goes through different seasons and responds to them differently but it's still there thriving you know i mean now i'm really riffing this isn't actually in the psalm but watch the tree in the winter when you think Mm, it's all is lost there's nothing on it is it dead Here's a side note. We are birch trees in our front yard. I, I mentioned those. So we live in Oregon, like I said, and we had a terrible ice storm this winter that Oregon hasn't seen in decades. And it felled a lot of trees in our state. That is my worst nightmare. I will. I have headed out there with hair dryers and extension cords to try to save my trees. I, I, I'm already terrified of what you're going to say. Yeah, it, 
Did you lose we, some? We, in we your lost yard? a birch tree, and I don't know what is going to happen to our other birch tree. But basically, what happened was our one birch tree got so heavily iced that it bent all the way over, and the tip was touching the street. Wow. And then tree street touching tree street. The tree was touching tree street and then it snapped in half. Oh, it's a heartbreak. Total. Now here's the cool part. Our friend was driving down the street and saw our tree and he came and knocked on our door and said, can I have your tree? He said, I'm, I'm working on a project and I need some birch wood to make something out of. Mm. And we were like, please take our tree, make Mm. something beautiful out of it. But I think it's just, that's what trees are. And, and that's what people are too. We weather many things and beautiful things can be made out of really hard things. (laughs) I'm not saying that Mm. very poetically, but I think that um, even in death, that tree was was giving, like he says, it was it was serving. Right. And it was. I mean, even if that tree had just laid there and decomposed into the earth, it would have fed the earth in its death. It probably would have like new trees would have come up out of the ground from that tree. So just the themes of redemption and resurrection Mm. I mean trees just show us that so well there's so much trees can teach us this is um one thing I was thinking about because I was at a conference this past weekend and one of the speakers Courtney Doctor was telling the story of being a little girl and overhearing a conversation that her mother was having on the phone about getting these pear trees And she was so excited to, she was imagining herself eating pears and, uh, and, and climbing these trees and getting the fruit. And she said, imagine my disappointment when I realized that these pear trees were ornamental and they would never bear fruit. And it was a call for believers to, um, not just live our faith in word, but in deed. And what I, I wanted to add to the talk, not that, you could, not that I could really add to Courtney Doctor's talk, but um, the interesting thing about ornamental pear trees is they're also invasive. Like our Missouri Department of Conservation is actually offering money to people to get rid of, chop down pear trees, ornamental pear trees, the ones that don't bear fruit, um, because they actually harm and do damage to the environment. And I think there's an interesting parallel for us as believers who we want to talk about our faith. We want to live it in word, but we, it, if, we are, if we are saved, it will show up in our lives. There will be fruit. A pear tree needs to show pears. <laughs> um, otherwise, it can even do damage to those around it. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing I've been thinking about lately. Yeah, that's They're beautiful, by the way. Ornamental pear trees are stunners. Mm. They're everywhere in Missouri. They're gorgeous, but they are um, 
it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Wow. So. My friend Julie Chang and I read another book about trees, and I can't remember if I've mentioned it to you or not, but it's called The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty, and it's written by a German luthier, which is a violin maker, and he mm-hmm. compares God's work in people's lives, through people's lives, to his craft of making violins out of fallen trees. Mm-hmm. And he tells these amazing stories about going into the Alps. And there were enormous old trees up there that would naturally fall down during, you know, ice storms and weather and things in the winter. And then in the spring, they would wait for them to roll down the hills so that they could make violins out of them. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, it's it's incredible. He talked about how when one of these trees is rolling down the hill, you can listen to the sound that it's making and know whether or not it's going to be a good tree to use for violins what? just by the tone of the tree. And they, <laughs> they call, I know he, they call the ones that make a certain sound they call them singers. It's like they're singing wow. and they know if it's a singer, then they're going to be able to make a beautiful instrument out of it, a violin that's then going to sing through the human that plays it. So it's this really cool picture of what nature shows us, like you're saying about trees that bear fruit or mm-hmm. don't bear fruit. The trees that roll down the mountain and they, you can tell by listening to them, something beautiful can be made out of this. This, this one's a singer. So he talks about being a singer, being the type Mm. of tree, the type of human that beautiful things can be made out of. And I just found that picture really compelling. Mm, That's beautiful. I want to spend time with the violin maker. I just want to learn from that guy. Totally. One of my favorite parts of the book, it was towards the end, and he's referring to a conversation that Jesus is having, where Jesus references Solomon and all his glory. And so his listeners would have been picturing Solomon giving this royal welcome to foreign dignitaries. He, he goes on to describe it as 2,000 chariots, all the caravans that the tents lining the roads, the, the uh, royal fanfare and, and the gold and the 200 troops and the courts, the wives, the musicians. And he says, what is given for scale or, or kind of to help us understand the size and proportion of, of Solomon in all his glory? And I'll, I'll just read his answer. He says, a flower. If we can picture Solomon in all his glory and a flower beside it, the flower wins. One daisy, one lily of the field, one violet, and you've got something much grander. He didn't pit Solomon against the magnolia, the weeping cherry, etc., but a lowly flower of the field. Jesus explained that the Father cares deeply for these plants. I thought that was just beautiful. And, and then he goes on to tell the story of um, the Father noticing when a, when a bird falls to the ground. And... Um, and he's, he's 
trying to help his audience understand how much the father cares for them and their worries and their their concerns. And so just to see that picture of the, the father's love that a flower, a lowly flower, a lily, a violet, that that is beauty to God. That is glory. That is more glorious than all the gold, all the the grandeur. But that was just lovely. That's, that's so powerful. It reminds me of after my 10 years ago, after my dad's mom had passed away and we went to her funeral. She was the my dad comes from a big Catholic family. Um, and so, you know, strong faith tradition on that side. And my uncle, my dad's brother, I spent time with him at her funeral funeral. And I remember asking him, you know, what, what are things about your mom that stood out to you that you remember that you go back to? And his, the first thing that came to mind was he said, as an adult coming back to visit his mom, he remembered sharing with her things he was struggling with, things that weren't going well in his adult life. And he said, mom was gardening at the time while I was talking to her. And she turned to me and she said, she quoted that passage about if, if God's eye is on the sparrow, imagine how much more his eye is on you. And that, you know, resonates to me on so many levels as a parent thinking about my children, thinking about um, God as the ultimate parent, thinking about us, his children. But the the power and the simplicity of those verses where we're told over and over again by Jesus, by scripture, look at the world around you. There's so much that you can know about God that's being revealed to you by a sparrow, by a flower, mm. by a tree, and the way the, the water rushes by it, right? That's right. I remember earlier on in the book, oh, that reminds me earlier on in the book where he says, we don't need more wonders. We need a greater sense of wonderment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about the type of home that I'm trying to create, it's easy, I think, to get caught up in the, the cultural story of hurry that we live in and and think, well, are, are, am I really going to get to benefit from these trees? If it doesn't serve me now in this moment, why plant a tree? Why, why plant 31 trees, Elizabeth, in your yard? Um, but I, I think about 20, 30 years from now, if we stay here, maybe we won't, but if we did, my grandkids coming and picking apple trees and picking pears from our real fruit trees <laughs> in our yard, or um, I don't know, maybe setting up a zip line in our backyard or having a, a, a tire swing, or uh, we have sugar maples that we planted. Sugar maples are, are they're stunners You too. can make, you can tap it and make maple syrup. That's right. And I'm like, I am going to be, if I can live till 80 years old, which I don't, I don't have the genes that Chris does on, on both sides of his family. Everyone lives to like 130, but, um, so maybe he'll be doing it, but we're going to tap those trees. I'm telling you what, or somebody's going to, maybe our kids will. Um, but 
having that long-term vision of leaving your home or your neighborhood better than when you found it, um, leaving, um, leaving that legacy, passing on that love for the environment to your kids, modeling that as a believer. I think my neighbors seeing that we care about the earth, we celebrate Earth Day, I want them to know. I'm not just thinking, oh, it's all going to burn. It's not going to, what benefit is this of, to me? Kind of that selfish, honestly, selfish perspective. But um, no, I care about planting seeds of the gospel and I care about planting trees. And at the end of the book, I remember Michael says that he was speaking at a convocation and someone came up to him afterwards and he'd given this whole overview and he does it beautifully in the book, referencing all the different times that trees are mentioned. And they kind of said, so what? Now what? Not, not in, a, in, in an antagonistic kind of way, but in a what do I do kind of way. And I think as I read the book, I kind of took away three main things. And they might sound kind of cheesy, but I would say learn from trees, spend time with trees and plant trees. Learn from trees in, in the kind of way that, that you're talking about. Um, and we we gave a couple examples of that pushing back against that that culture of hurry by spending time outside. I mean, we are just an indoor culture, and I say that to myself. I'm I'm guilty of it. Um, and then plant trees. It's easy to kind of feel overwhelmed by like, um, what difference could it make to plant a tree? But and, and you and I mean, he gives the example of um, a, a, an organization that he gives to, and I think the proceeds of his book even go to, it's Plant With Purpose, which I want to I wanna know more about that, um, that organization. But even if you're not giving to plant trees on a more global scale, which I think we should, um, plant a tree in your little space. Just plant, just plant one. Martin Luther, didn't he say, if I, if something like if I knew I was going to die tomorrow, I'd, or if I knew the world was coming to an end, I'd still plant a tree, mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, what would you say mm-hmm. your takeaways from the book were? Well, I think that it, it goes beyond the book for me because it is such a theme in my life, but it ties in beautifully to really what I've been learning a lot from Native American Christians like Brandy Woodley, people like that, who are just naturally better at at being connected to the earth because they are native to this land and just because of the Mm -hmm. cultures of their tribes and their communities, they're better at that worldview where, you know, we, we have bodies, we are in a material world and there's a lot of Mm -hmm. meaning there. So that this book was one piece of a larger puzzle in my life. That's freeing me to, be embodied, live embodied, connected to the world around me, to let God heal me through the creation that he made. You know, I think of the story of Jesus. He was often restoring sight to to people, literally and figuratively. And I remember the story where he puts dirt on the eyes of a blind person. And 
I think he says, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. I haven't looked at it closely in a mm. while, but basically he asks him, okay, what can you see? And the first thing the guy says, do you remember this? He goes, I see, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Something like that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's like the first step is Jesus taking the earth and putting putting it on this man and saying, what, what do you see? And then he, I think he does it again, or he has him wash it off and he does it again. And mm. he's like, now, now what do you see? And, and the man can actually see, I mean, he can see, oh, those, those are people. So mm. I think it's, I think the Bible. What do you think? What do you think is for us in that? What do you, what do you take away from that? I think that there's so many invitations in Scripture and even in Jesus' own ministry to allow Jesus to restore our sight, figuratively, mm. sometimes literally, to let Him show us, to let Him heal us through creation. I mean, He made it, and we're part. We're part of an ecosystem you know? And so I think take advantage of the opportunities to just be, be in the creation that God made, let it heal you, let it make you more whole. You know, that's what the Christian journey is about is a journey towards wholeness as individuals Mm. and as communities. And I think, you know, the whole idea of like, this world's going to burn, no one really knows what the end is going to be like, or what the future is going to be like. You know, we have, prophecy cryptic prophecies that we try to interpret and i think we get bits and pieces right but and and certainly some theologians think this this earth that we know will be destroyed but some think that this earth will be renewed that this will be the new mm-hmm. earth that god's going right. to do something cosmic and the earth you know the trajectory the trajectory of the earth will be renewal, you know, and there's images of like the city coming down from heaven onto this earth. So I think that we should live as if the earth is not going to be destroyed because we don't know for sure what the future holds. And like you're saying, if, if we can have, an eternal perspective that we tie to the earth, then we'll, we'll care for souls and for the earth with that eternal perspective in mind. We'll plant trees. We'll plant trees. It's one small thing we can do. That's so well said. I just want you to keep saying it. Just keep, just, just say it again. I'm like, for those in the back, say it for those in the back. (laughs) Um, that's beautiful. I, I have to I have to say my kind of favorite tree story from the scripture is when Jesus refers to the parable of the mustard seed. And I, ha- I have to share this because, you know, I have a, a heart for neighboring. Neighboring meaning the act and practice of loving our literal act, like our literal next door neighbors. And and I love the story of the of the mustard seed and and Jesus, how he takes, I'm imagining him standing there with this small seed in his hand. And 
sometimes when we engage with our neighbors, we we kind of despise those small steps. We want we want the fast pace. We want the we want the big outcomes. And I think in Christian culture, especially if the relationship doesn't look a certain way, we're just out. We just we have such big ideas of what God might do, and then we kind of disconnect from even knowing our neighbors' names or waving, smiling, saying hello. We demean those small things. But Jesus highlighted this small, tiny little seed. And then he he talked about how that mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, he said, um, would grow into something over time. There's a process there um, that would eventually provide I think shade and and um, and shelter for the for the bird the birds would nest in its branches and I love that picture because well again he highlights the process that our relationships with people to, and and our and our neighbors take time and we can't see them we can't see them growing we can't see change happening you can't look at a tree and see it grow you can't you'll never see a tree grow. You can look back on it and see how it's grown, but you cannot see a tree you grow. Time you cannot see a, a child grow. That's right. And um, and yet it's growing. We don't think it is, but it's growing. And then and then he gives us he 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 gives us a picture, a vision, and tries to capture our imaginations with this picture of what it what this seed could be. And I love how Jesus does that because when we when we engage with our neighbors, kind of think, ah. Eh, where could it ever go? I don't need these people. I'm busy, you know, but, um, but how God can use those small seed size interactions to grow, to grow it into something that he could use for his kingdom, I think is a really beautiful picture. And he uses a tree to do that. Tree of Life, a poem by Samantha Holland. A mustard-like seed, so small it blended into my palm line, came with instructions. Plant in a deep, silent place. Wait for what feels like too long, then wait some more. Must weather many dark winters. Must almost lose hope. In spring, employ countless souls to water the soil for years on end. Ensure it enjoys the warmest, friendliest summers before mulching it with autumn death. This seemed oddly complex. Still, I obeyed the best I could, rereading the directions when the plant seemed tired, returning to what I did at first whenever I lost and found the list, which happened often. And a tree grew, so strong and beautiful, that my neighbors and I all had shade to rest, food to reach up, pick and eat, Strong boughs to hold hammocks for dreaming and swings for playing. And children, mine and others, eagerly climbed her trunk, building tree houses large enough for their imaginary worlds. And in the end, we all grew wise from a lifetime of learning what it takes for things to grow. 